Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Hellier and I'd like to introduce you to the first episode of In Conversation With from The Lancet Microbe. It's June 2021 and we're going to start the series off with this first episode with a conversation with Professor Adrian Martineau, who is Clinical Professor of Respiratory Infection and Immunity at Queen Mary University in London in the UK. Adrian was an author on a study recently published in The Lancet Microbe, done in Ethiopia, which detected DNA of Mycobacterium tuberculosis in CD34-positive peripheral blood mononuclear cells in asymptomatic individuals who've been in contact with people with active tuberculosis. Thanks, Adrian, for joining me, and welcome. Thank you, Rachel. So, first, um, detection of M-tuberculosis DNA in asymptomatic individuals indicates latent tuberculosis. Could you tell us what latent tuberculosis is and why it's important to identify these individuals? Sure. So um, latent tuberculosis is conventionally defined as a state of persistent immune response to stimulation by mycobacterium tuberculosis antigens in the absence of any clinical or radiological evidence of active TB. However, there's a problem with this definition in that some people may have a memory response to tuberculosis antigens in the absence of infection, while others, particularly the immunocompromised, may have M-tuberculosis infection in the absence of a memory response. Consequently, existing immunological diagnostics have got quite poor predictive value for who will progress to active tuberculosis. And one way to address this problem is to develop a microbiological or gold standard test for latent tuberculosis infection. The reason why it's important to identify these individuals is that ultimately TB control on a global scale is going to require us to identify and treat people with latent tuberculosis infection. This is because a high proportion of individuals in low-income countries have latent tuberculosis infection. Unless we tackle that pool of infection and treat it with so-called chemoprophylaxis or shorter-course antibiotic treatment, that latent infection will activate and continue to cause cases of active TB well towards the end of this century. The World Health Organization wants to uh, eradicate TB by 2050, and that's going to require treatment of latent infection, and that requires identification of latent infection. Now, in high-income countries, we offer treatment to everybody who's got a positive immunological test for latent tuberculosis infection, that is, everyone who's sensitised. And we accept that many of the people who we offer this treatment to won't need it. However, that's not possible in a lower-income country because sensitisation is too prevalent. So if we can develop a test, particularly a microbiological test, that can identify who's likely to progress from latent to active disease, then treatments of latent TB could be targeted and ultimately we could then achieve disease control. Thanks. Thanks for that uh, information. That's really interesting and makes absolute sense. So in your study, uh, what were the key research questions you investigated and what did you find? Uh, the first question we wanted to investigate was whether or not TB DNA could be detected in peripheral blood mononuclear cells of asymptomatic adults in a high burden country. And so we went to Ethiopia, which has one of the highest TB incidence rates in the world. And we thought that we might be able to do this because of work done from Stephen Rees and colleagues at the Max Planck Institute of Infection Biology in Berlin, who'd shown that tuberculosis could be isolated from hematopoietic stem cells bearing the CD34 surface marker, both in mice and in a handful of humans living in Vienna, Austria. And we wanted to find out whether this initial intriguing finding could be replicated in a setting where TB was very common. And 
the key finding from our study was that we were indeed able to detect a DNA of M tuberculosis complex in peripheral blood mononuclear cells of 79% of participants in our study who had diverse risk factors for latent TB infection, including having been household contact with an infectious index case or of being a worker in a cattle farm where cattle with culture positive bovine TB were present or who were attending an HIV outpatient clinic in Addis Ababa. So having established that we could indeed detect MTB DNA in peripheral blood mononuclear cells, we then wanted to go out and test the hypothesis raised by the investigators at Max Planck to see whether or not the copy number of M tuberculosis was higher in the CD34 positive hematopoietic stem cells versus the CD34 negative cells. And what we found was that this was indeed the case, with 73% of individuals uh, having uh, MTB DNA detectable in their CD34 positive cells versus 23% uh, detectable in CD34 negative cells. We then wanted to go on and find out whether or not detection would be more frequent in HIV-infected people versus HIV-uninfected people, as we hypothesised that because of the defect in CD4 T-cell helper function in HIV infection, that those people would be more susceptible to TB and more likely to harbour M-tuberculosis in their CD34 positive PBMCs. And indeed, we found this to be the case, uh, with 89% of HIV-infected participants having MTB DNA detectable in their PBMCs versus 73% of HIV-uninfected individuals. A final part of the puzzle was to then see whether, when we gave treatment for latent TB infection, whether it reduced this biomarker. And we showed for the first time that administration of isoniazid, which is an anti-TB antibiotic, did indeed reduce the prevalence of our ability to detect M-tuberculosis complex DNA from 95% of HIV-infected individuals at baseline to 53% of them after treatment. You compared results with um, digital PCR versus interferon gamma release assays, otherwise known as IGRAs, and you found that there was no association between PCR positivity and IGRA positivity regardless of IGRA positivity, the proportion of patients in whom you detected the MTB DNA remained similar. And what significance does that finding have? Well, I think the first thing to say, Rachel, is this was not a finding we were expecting, partly because in the individuals investigated in Vienna previously, that had shown perfect concordance between the interferon gamma release assay result and the PCR result. So what we showed was that there was no concordance whatsoever when we got used to the idea, however, it did seem that actually this discordance between the results of our PCR test and results of the conventional interferon gamma release assay could actually provide some new insights into the biology of latent tuberculosis infection. Because what you can do is essentially construct a two by two table which compares EGRA status, interferon gamma release assay status, versus PCR status. And in that two by two table, you're going to have four quadrants. And these four quadrants might each represent a new phenotype of latent TB infection that hasn't previously been described. So to take each of those phenotypes in turn, um, individuals who are PCR negative and quantiferon negative, I would describe as perhaps being true resistors. These are people who are exposed to M tuberculosis, but whose adaptive immune system does not mount a response, and neither do they have any evidence of M tuberculosis DNA in their stem cells. So in other words, most likely their innate immune response is extremely strong, and it basically eliminates 
any infection before it can either stimulate an adaptive immune response or enter the stem cells. A second quadrant of interest represents individuals who are quantiferon positive and PCR negative. In other words, they have a T-cell memory response that their immune system has uh, encountered N-tuberculosis before, but there's no evidence of N-tuberculosis in their CD34 positive cells. And these individuals are classed as eliminators. In other words, they're sensitised to infection, but their T-cell response has actually managed to eradicate the infection such that they maintain their memory response, but no longer have evidence of MTB DNA detectable in their CD34 positive cells. And this is an important group because currently they're being offered chemoprophylaxis treatment, perhaps uh, needlessly, because although they have a memory response, they don't have any microbiological evidence of infection. Um, a third quadrant I would call classic latent TB, and these are the individuals who are positive both on the quantiferon assay and also on the uh, PCR assay. But a fourth quadrant uh, is a very interesting one, individuals who are quantiferon negative but PCR positive. And these, we hypothesised, would be a group of people in whom those with immunosuppression would be overrepresented. And when we stratified that two by two table, which you can see in our paper, by HIV status, we indeed found that HIV infected people were overrepresented in that quantiferon negative PCR positive quadrant. And again, this has implications for treatment, potentially, because this is a group who wouldn't currently, using current diagnostics, be identified as having latent TB infection. But actually, our microbiological test indicates that perhaps they might have, and they might therefore benefit from chemoprophylaxis. Wow, so that's a really interesting, unexpected finding that you had there. That was um, great to hear about. So in terms of all these results from your study, expected and unexpected, what are the implications of these for clinical practice and future research? Well, I think, Rachel, it's probably too early to say whether or not these results have got implications for clinical practice, um, but there certainly is a lot more research to do. And I think I would say there are probably four important steps we have to achieve. I think the first thing to do is that we need to see if our findings can be replicated both by ourselves in other settings and also by independent groups. They're kind of surprising, uh, kind of paradigm shifting, and I think they'll take a while uh, to achieve um, mainstream status. Uh, and this will really only happen if others can replicate our findings in different labs. If indeed we manage to replicate and others do as well, uh, which I'm reasonably confident about, uh, I think the next big step will be to try and drill down and understand some of the biology of what's going on here. There are a lot of unanswered questions remaining. A key one relates to whether or not these bacilli can be cultured either on culture medium or in immunosuppressed animal hosts. And it could be that the phenotype of those bugs, whether or not the DNA represents just dead bacilli or whether it actually represents viable bacilli, could be really important um, in uh, evaluating the biological importance of our finding. I think it's also worth noting that we saw MTB DNA detected not just in CD34 positive cells, but also in CD34 negative ones, which raises the question of where that niche could be. I think once the biology is better characterised, we'll be in a better place to then operationalise the assay. Uh, currently, of course, it's pretty onerous. You have to bleed someone 100 mils of blood, then separate out their peripheral blood mononuclear cells, sort those into CD34 positive and negative fractions using magnetic beads, and then apply uh, a technique digital droplet PCR, which isn't available in every UK university, let alone all over the world, to detect the MTB in the very low copy number we found it in. So I think there's a lot of work to be done 
on actually making a test that could be widely practical to be used in field studies. And I think once those three steps uh, are done, that's the stage when we can start thinking about doing field studies to answer the $64 million question, which is, does detection of MTB DNA in peripheral blood act actually as a better predictor of one's risk of reactivating latent tuberculosis? In other words, answering the question, how does the positive predictive value for this new biomarker compare with our existing biomarkers, uh, interferon gamma release haze, release assays and uh, tuberculin skin tests. And it's only once we answer that question that we'll then be able to get a handle on what the clinical application or significance of our findings is. Hopefully in the future we'll hear more about this. Thank you so much, Adrian, for putting this study into context for the listeners and for me. Um, it was really interesting talking to you and I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about our work. And to the listeners, you can read Adrian's research online now at thelancet.com. Thank you for tuning into this episode of In Conversation With. And remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With the Lancet Microbe from wherever you usually get your podcasts from.